Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Amplifying Voices, a FAC anthology podcast on partisan politics, policies, history, peoples, and California community colleges. The podcast is brought to you by the Communications Committee for the Faculty Association of California Community Colleges. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Tripp. My co-host is also from the, is from De Anza College and a governor at large on the FAC board, Amy Leonard. Hi, nice to be here, Ryan. Yep, just finished up my governorship and I'm uh, now just going to be working for the Communications Company uh, Committee and making sure that I'm making you sound good on this podcast. Yes, exactly. A uh, outgoing governor at large. Um, for this Pride Month episode, we're chatting with Alicia Mullins, also from De Anza College. Welcome to the podcast, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So let's start uh, basically with your background. What is your educational background and how did you, how did you come to teach in higher education? Um, where and what do you teach? Well, um, I call myself the second biggest weather nerd I know. Um, I have a friend from grad school who's the biggest, but, um, ever since I was a child, I've been so enamored with weather. And so growing up, um, whenever there was a storm coming by, whenever there was any kind of, um, rain or anything of interest, I would always run out and ooh and ah. Um, and that brings me to my education. I, um, when I graduated high school, I went to Long Beach City College, and I kind of bumped around there for a few years, and I think that's a very common experience for our students, um, to have setbacks, to fail a class, to hit a bump, um, and I was no exception. Um, eventually, I did kind of get myself together. I transferred to Cal State Long Beach and double majored in math and physical geography and loved them so loved them both so much but as i was finally getting more comfortable with the math and the physics and getting more comfortable with who i was i just realized like i gotta go for it i've got to study meteorology i've got to study weather and so in 2010 i moved my way up to san jose um, went to San Jose State University, the only CSE with a meteorology program, and um, started grad school in meteorology. Now, while I was there, I kind of got to get my hands dirty with a bunch of different stuff. I got to do weather forecasting, which I only kind of got to get my feet wet with that. Um, I got to do field research, actually going out on the field and deploying instruments and um, analyzing that data. I did a lot of climate modeling, analyzing weather data. Um, but there was one thing that I did that, for whatever reason, it just really lit my fancy. And that was getting into a classroom and geeking out about this stuff with students. Um, one of the things I realized is that there are so many people in the field of atmospheric sciences that go into climate studies or that go into climate modeling, and they, they want to solve the problem with climate change, but I argue that one of the biggest causes of climate change is misinformation. The fact that people in general don't understand what's actually happening. And I feel like all of the work that we're doing on that higher scientific level doesn't mean much if the general public doesn't understand what's going on. So combining my love of weather, my love of my planet, and then my love of students and teaching and geeking out, uh, teaching at a community college just really made sense to me. Um, once I graduated, I did what a lot of community college faculty did. I adjuncted at a few different schools. Um, one thing I would say, if um, anybody who's listening to this happens to be an adjunct or a part-timer, um, my biggest advice to you would be make sure that you um, that you follow any opportunity you can get. Um, if I had just held off on, well, I want to teach meteorology, I want to teach meteorology, I want to teach meteorology, I would have only had one opportunity in three years to actually work. But instead, I got my feet wet in geology, oceanography, astronomy, the earth sciences, um, and then when that opportunity came up to teach meteorology, it was 
well, I've got all of this experience teaching all these different fields. Like, yeah, I want to go for it. And then when my dream job popped up at De Anza College, it was like, it was a no brainer to go for it. And um, I have really, I mean, I've been here since 2017. I've loved every bit of it. Obviously, there's a lot of give and take and a lot of politics that happen on the community college level. I don't want to get into that. But frankly, it's been it's been a great experience. Wow, your passion really comes through. Your students are very lucky to have you. And great advice also for part-timers. As a former part-timer, I have to agree completely. And I know Ryan, as a part-timer, would agree completely as well. Um, if possible, discuss your path to LGBTQIA plus and trans activism. Any ideas, past engagement, or present endeavors that you might like to share? I don't know if I can answer this question without explaining my past and how I kind of came to who I am. Um, so, you know, during a lot of that time where I was going through my educational journey, um, I was also going through a journey of trying to better understand who I am. Um, the first time I can remember the first time that I directly thought, you know, I don't know if being a guy is who I'm supposed to be was in 1997 and I was in my second year of junior high and um, what was happening during that time was I don't know how to explain it other than to say that I didn't feel like I could connect with a lot of the guys around me and I felt more and more like the things about the girls that really connected me was I loved their clothes or I loved how they looked. I loved how, and I wanted that. And I wanted to feel more feminine. I mean, to be honest with you. Um, however, in 1997, I mean, you have to admit like this was, or, or you have to realize like this was the, um, this was the, the heyday of the Jerry Springer show. Mm -hmm. Um, this was the heyday of many different sitcoms. And a lot of times um, anything that was trans related was always painted either as a demeaning thing, like even, even Mrs. Doubtfire, Completely. this idea. Yeah. Even Mrs. Doubtfire or, um, or yeah, the Jerry Springer show, there would always be these episodes of like, Here's this, I'm not even going to use the word because I consider it derogatory now. It just has the initials TS. Here's this person who is um, deceiving other people. Um, I, I will actually say that a really good documentary I'd recommend if you really want to understand the portrayal of trans people in the media during this time is the documentary... Um, I don't know why I just forgot the name. It just slipped my mind from Laverne Cox. Um, I think it's called Exposed. Um, yeah, another one you're talking about. It's really good. Yeah. And um, and yeah, it had to deal with the portrayal of trans people in the media. And I remember watching it a few years ago and actually getting pretty angry at, you know, the fact that like during this time, like, I knew that there was something up with me and I knew it was something I wasn't supposed to share with people. And so, I mean, and I'd say that that's pretty much where I was at for the next 20 years was not being able to share this with anybody being supposedly being ashamed of it. Um, I got involved in a very evangelical um, group of people in as soon as I started college and really kind of stuck with them really until about five years ago. And about five years ago was finally when things started to kind of well up in me. Um, it started with a student, actually. Um, this is what I would say was probably the first crack in what is called my egg, a very common term for people who come to realization that they're transgender is what's called cracking your egg or coming out of your egg. And um, in summer of 2015, I had a student who started the term off presenting as male and then halfway through presenting as female. 
And I'm going to say right now, and I don't mind admitting this, I was very uncomfortable. And the reason why I was uncomfortable was twofold. The first one was during this time, I had had zero training on how to support the student. I had no idea what I could do to help them. I didn't know, I didn't know about asking about pronouns. I didn't know about how to bring it up. I was afraid that I would, you know, make it a bigger deal than she may have wanted me to. Um, and so I just felt so nervous about like, I wanna, I wanna still respect and support her, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, and then the second big thing, and this is where the cracks in that egg came, um, I was, I felt like I was looking into a mirror with this person. And it just really hit me to, it just really hit me hard to feel like, wow, like this one student is living what I wish I could live. Um, and then little by little over the next few years, my wife and I would have conversations and this would come up. And during the time I had given my feminine self the name Alicia, um, and she's known all about it. I've never hidden this from her, which I'm very fortunate about. But, um, and little by little, it kind of started welling up more and more and more. And then I finally broke through in 2019 and finally started working on that journey towards becoming Alicia. Um, it wasn't until about six months into the pandemic that it finally hit me that, yeah, this is leading to me transitioning. This is actually going to lead to me going full time as Alicia. Um, and I'm glad it took as long as it did because it gave me and my wife a chance to really kind of get a feel for what this meant and what it meant for us and how this was going to look like. Um, and then that's where I would say the activism comes in. Um, so pre-pandemic, I would say that my whole thought about Alicia was very inward focused. Um, I wanted the experience of getting to be feminine. I wanted the experience to getting to live life as Alicia. Once the pandemic hit and it became very clear to me that, you know, for the first time it really hit me that, you know, this is something that I, I have to do. Like, this is something that needs to come out. Um, I realized that I really wanted to, um, I wanted to make it so that, one, I would never have a student like that student I had back in 2015 who didn't get my very expressed unwavering support. I would want a student like that to know that I fully support you. I'm here for you. I celebrate you. Um, before I started transitioning at work, the first thing I started doing was wearing this little pin here. It's a little heart with the trans colors on it. Um, what's actually kind of cool is I had students who would bring that up to me at times and say that, you know, that they had a trans classmate or that they had um, one person had a trans child. And they said, like, seeing that alone screamed, you're safe here. Um, and I think that's really where my activism has sort of gone into. It's just this idea that I never want a student to walk on our campus and feel like, you're not welcomed here. You're not embraced here. You're not safe here. And, and if anything, I want to be the exact opposite. I want to scream like, I don't just welcome you. I celebrate you. And be who you are. Bring your full self to this campus. Because that is how we are going to, um, that, that is what, that's what's going to make this campus better, is bringing our true authentic selves. Um, in terms of the present, I would say my biggest push right now is, um, unfortunately coming out for me has not come without its consequences. 
Um, about two years ago, I was doxxed by an online hate group. Doxing is basically, uh, if anybody doesn't know what doxing is, it's basically people from other settings find out everything they can find out about you, your original name, your place of work, your home address, anything they could find out about you. And they would make it all available to anybody who wanted to use it. And usually these people are using it for very nefarious reasons. And it's a very scary thing. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. Um, I had a friend get doxxed and almost lost her job because of it, because these people contacted her place of work and falsified um, charges against her, basically saying that she had done things. I really don't want to get into specifics because that could get really triggering. Um, and so I remember the Sunday morning when I woke up and this same person actually messaged me and said, hey, this hate group found you. And they they know where you work. They know who your wife is. They know where you live. They know this, that, and the other. And the very first thing I did was I got on the phone with Karen Chow, our um, academic Senate president at the time, and, and said, I just found out I've been doxxed by a hate group who knows everything about me. Um, and that actually forced me out at work because I was so scared that this was going to happen to me. That must that, have been very scary just in general. I mean, to be pushed out that way, it's not fun. I'm was, sorry. That was frightening. Um, and it was infuriating. And, um, and Karen really helped me. She got me in contact with somebody in human resources. She got me in contact with our, with our faculty association president, Tim Shively, who was very, very supportive and very helpful. Um, and then obviously her being from the faculty senate, she was very helpful and supportive. And what I really loved was um, as soon as I brought this up to them, um, and some of them had already known about Alicia because I had started coming out to people, um, it became very clear that this, if this happened to me this easily, this could be happening to our students. And I mean, I have to admit, I'm in, I'm not in a super vulnerable position anymore. My wife knows, my employers know, everybody knows. I'm in good shape in that area now. Like there's, there's really nothing that I'm hiding now. And so I'm in a really good place. But what about a student who may not be out to their family? you know, or a student who is barely getting by each month and they're trying to pay rent, they're trying to handle a full-time job while trying to go to school full-time and wrestling with this gender dysphoria. And then suddenly this hate group is out there doing everything they can to ruin their life. Like, I never want that to happen to our students. And so after I was outed, that very first thing I said was like, I never want this to happen to our students. And really quickly, that led to me um, joining the um, planning committee for our LGBTQ center. It's actually gone through three different names in the time that I've been at De Anza. First, it was the G. Miller Resource Room. Then it was the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Center. And now we actually have invested in a full-time faculty member and we have a pride center now, which has been incredible to see at De Anza. Yeah, very cool, very, uh, very cool. Yeah, and you know, I've been, I've been really honored to see what's come of that. And so really for me, in terms of activism, my biggest thing is just being present and walking into the room as my true self. And um, just one thing I'll say before I, I end, the coolest thing about being out and being my true self and being involved in these different areas has been, I have noticed that the number of uh, openly out queer and trans students enrolled in my classes has skyrocketed. And that makes me so happy because Either 
it means that there are students who are intentionally taking my class because they know I'm going to be a safe person. Or it means that they would have taken my class anyway, but because I'm out and I'm open, they feel safe. And so they're, they're bringing their true selves into the classroom. And I mean, it's just, it's such a dichotomy from that first experience in 2015 to now. And it just, it makes me so happy. Oh, totally. I mean, as an also out faculty member, I can tell you they definitely find you the more you're out you are. Um, one thing I do want to prompt just a little bit because I know our listeners don't know about this, but I do because I'm on the same campus as you, uh, is you were really inst instigative in really pushing the name change for students and faculty. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew this was going to come up and I... Um... I don't know where to begin and I want to make sure that I'm not too mean. You can cut that out and post if you need to. No, um, be honest, be your real self. <laughs> but, but to be perfectly honest with you, the process of getting my name changed has been a nightmare. It has been an absolute nightmare. Um, so just to set the stage, I also teach part-time at San Jose State University. Um, and Actually, it was when I came out to my department there, the same department I got my master's degree at, so most of them already knew me. When I came out there, their first response is, welcome, Alicia, we're so proud of you, we want you here, and we want you to be your authentic self here. So, you know, we're not going to make you, obviously, but whenever you're ready, Alicia is welcomed in our classrooms. That's lovely. And they encouraged me, when you're ready, you can update your preferred name and here's how to do it. I went on to their people management system, went to personal information, added Alicia as my preferred name, hit go, and immediately everything was different. My name in the schedule of classes was now Alicia. My email address was now Alicia. My department website now had me as Alicia. Everything that made me Alicia was suddenly like all, all the major things. This took me 15 seconds. Um, a few months later, my dean at De Anza caught word because we were friends and she was only my dean for 11 weeks. That's another story. But um, she had caught wind that I was teaching as Alicia at San Jose State, and she was somebody who was out very, or who I was out and very supportive to. And she said, when are we gonna see Alicia here? And I said, I'm, I'm ready now. And so she put me in touch with people to start getting the process, the name change process done at De Anza. What I found at De Anza was an absolute nightmare. Um, I was, um, directed to HR, the HR technician that I ended up talking to had no idea what the preferred name process even was. Um, I explained what I was trying to do. And she's like, oh, no, we only do that for legal name changes. It took three days of back and forth to get her to, to finally get to a place where I'm like, Oh, okay, so you're trying to add Alicia as your preferred name. It's like somebody would say Jim instead of James. Okay, I can do that. That took three days, and the whole time she was dead naming. That's horrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, the whole time. And I tried to make it, and I was trying to be very subtle but direct that, like, I'm Alicia, call me Alicia. And she still kept dead naming me. It was incredibly hurtful. And then, when the name change actually finally went through, it only applied to like three places. Wow, really? It applied to my email header. It applied to the name on the upper right-hand side of our people management system, I would see. And in some places in the schedule. But everything student-facing. Our schedule of classes, our published schedule of classes, I was still listed by my dead name. Active division, I was still listed by my dead name. 
Um, the online schedule tool, I was still listed by my dead name. I was still listed by my dead name everywhere that anybody could see. And so I had to explain in the first day of classes, like, yeah, I tried to get this done. And, you know, it took me 15 seconds elsewhere. So I thought I could do it relatively quickly here. Um, and then I finally asked, hey, can I have Alicia as my name in the schedule of classes? And somebody told me, oh, you have to get your social security card updated to do that, which meant a full name change. Um, and I just, at that point, I, I broke down in tears. Um, somebody from Academic Senate caught wind that that happened, reached out to me and said, no, 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 no. This is not acceptable. Um, and we kind of started going back and forth and they encouraged me to write a resolution. And so I um, got a resolution together to present to Academic Senate urging our district to fix our preferred name change process. Um, I remember going to that Senate meeting like shaking and scared because I didn't know how I was gonna be received. Um, it was one of the first times I had ever set foot on campus as Alicia. I wore the exact same outfit I wore the day that I had my first makeover, kind of a symbolic thing. Um, I presented the resolution, explained my experience. Immediately, somebody spoke up and I was like really scared. What the person said was, I would like to suspend parliamentary, normal parliamentary procedure and ask that the body pass this immediately with acclamation. And the body did it. And cool. I almost I almost broke down in tears when that happened. Um, that night, the resolution was actually presented to our board of trustees. And I also read an open letter to the board um, sharing my perspective. One administrator reached out to me the next day and then nothing happened for like for like two months. And then I wrote a follow-up letter and I said, hey, like people said they were gonna follow up with me. I had one follow-up, I followed up with them. Nothing's happened since. The fall schedule is coming out soon. I don't wanna be dead named in it. Please fix this. Let's ask me what, like, what can I do to help? Like, just please fix this. Um, and it took another month before they finally figured out why the preferred name wasn't being put in different places. And then they finally fixed that. Um, and yet I was still being dead named in the schedule of classes and our district was doing a pride flag raising ceremony the next day. And I find, <laughs> I find, and, and they had asked me to be a speaker at it. And so I finally, did something that I'm nervous that I did, but I was proud of doing it. I sent a letter to our chancellor, the president of our board of trustees, our president at De Anza College, and a few other people saying, listen, the fall schedule of classes comes out tomorrow. I have been working with all of you, begging you to get Alicia into the schedule of classes. Right now, as is, I'm going to be dead named in the schedule of classes tomorrow, the same day that you want me to speak at this pride thing. Such uh, irony in that, such irony. And I, I actually said, please fix this. And if you can't, I, I can't participate tomorrow. I just, I can't, I cannot in good conscience go up there and put a happy face on while I'm still being actively dead named in a place that my students are gonna see it and make choices on it. And basically, basically what I said was, fix this or I'm gonna withdraw in protest. 30 minutes later, I was Alicia everywhere. Wow. This took me 15 seconds to do somewhere else. It took me three days back and forth with an HR person who was dead naming me the whole time, two letters to the board of trustees, 
a resolution passed with acclamation by academic Senate and then actually passed with acclamation by classified Senate. And it still took an 11th hour, I don't want to use the word threat, but basically an 11th hour threat to finally get it done. That's ridiculous. That is very crazy. That's unacceptable. In 2022, now it's 2023, how are we letting this happen in one of the most progressive places in the entire country? And if this is happening to me, what's happening to our students? Um, since then, we've worked on improving the preferred name process, but I'm gonna go ahead and say that what was proposed and what has been implemented isn't really much better than what, what was originally. Um, it's still a six, well, it's still a four day process. That's if everything goes right. That involves two different checkoffs from human resources. When we've been told constantly that our human resources is overworked and overworked and overworked and understaffed. And I just, it, it just, it really disappoints me. When they finally asked me for my blessing on it, I said, this is better than nothing, but I implore you, we need to keep working at this. This is not good enough. It's better than nothing, but it's not good enough. And that, so to be honest with you, I mean, it, sorry if my passion and really the whole. No, I appreciate kind of, it. I threw myself kind of out here, but really that's something that really has broken my heart. Now I will say really quickly, just, just to be very open and honest, that experience has been the only negative thing related to my transition I've had at work. Everybody has been great to me. Everybody has been supportive. Every colleague was welcoming and embracing. Every administrator has been really helpful. I honestly don't feel like anybody was openly trying to prevent me from becoming Alicia or resisting. But it's the fact that we have an archaic system that, I mean, I'm just going to say it is a product of colonialism and is a product of the way things used to be that doesn't make space for people like me. And I don't think that we can say in one breath that we are welcoming and supportive, but then in the other breath, allow the system to continue to exist. And, but yeah, I mean, overall people have been great though, but yeah, it's just, it's been heartbreaking. So quite a journey. Um, given that this is a, uh, the Pride Month episode, uh, what is pride to you? I mean, you kind of uh, touched on various facets of it, but uh, what is pride to you in the context of your teaching, your research, activism? and also your uh, path to, your, to the transition? I feel like the, um, the best answer I can give is a two-word answer, which is unapologetically present. Um, to me, pride is about being there, is about being in open spaces and being unapologetic about it, not feeling like you're making people uncomfortable, not feeling like you're not having this fear of, um, of what's the best way to say it? Um, not having this fear of making a situation awkward, but just bringing your full self to the forefront. To me, that's what pride is about. It's about being unapologetically you and being represented in the real world being represented. And so to me, when I think about the, the concept of like what pride means to me, it's about showing that, hey, like I'm here, I'm here and I'm my true self. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm also human. I don't, I bleed just like you. I'm not trying to put you down, take you down, spit on your 
views, values, beliefs, or anything like that. I just want to exist just like you. Um, in terms of the in terms of teaching, I feel like one of the things I actually say when I introduce myself at the very beginning of the quarter, and actually when I introduce myself anywhere, and I should have done it here, um, I always say my name is Alicia Mullins, and I am a proud transgender woman. And the reason why I do that is because we live in a world right now where there are so many people who are at the very least trying to get us to downplay our transness, trying to get us to hide it, trying to get us to um, fit in. Like, okay, you can exist, but you have to pass. And if you don't pass, you can't go into the bathroom. If you don't pass, you can't do this or you can't do that. I mean, that's what the heart of so many of these anti-trans laws are. Um, and so to me, to actually walk into a classroom and say, look, I know I don't pass. I don't care. I love who I am. I'm proud of who I am. And guess what? Because I'm here as my true self, you're going to get a more whole person. You're going to get a better teacher. Like, um, when I introduced myself to students who knew me in my before time, which I've had a lot of students who knew me as my prior self, one of the things I always tell them is, different name, same mediocre teacher. Okay, sorry, terrible joke there. But but no, but in all honesty, <laughs> no, no, but in all honesty, um, what I do say is like, you're just getting the more whole me. Like, I'm still the same goofy, joke-telling teacher. I'm still just as nerdy and passionate about weather. But now, I'm not trying to hold something back that I that for the longest time I was told to be ashamed of. Now, I'm here, and you get to see all of it. And to me, that's what pride is is it's putting your whole self out there. Um, I don't know if that answered the question, but... No, very well said. I really appreciate that, and I love the enthusiasm for it. We do. Um, can you brief our listeners a little bit on what's happening with transgender issues or studies or any recent accomplishments by transgender students in California community colleges or on your own campus? Um, well... I will say that just in the couple of years I've been out, um, I have seen some amazing things being done by our students. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to name names because you know I don't know if a student wants me to name them by name on a faculty podcast. Um, but totally I also don't want that. them. What'd you say? I said totally get that. So don't worry. Yeah, and I also don't want them to think that I'm not thinking about them either. Um, I've had the honor of being the club advisor for the LGBTQ Alliance at De Anza College. Our president is a trans woman, and she has done so much to make that place a welcoming space for everybody in the rainbow family, everybody in the queer community, everybody in the LGBTQ community. When I think, I mean, I don't mean to make it sound like this, but I would say even 10 years ago, it was really LGB. And trans people really were kind of the odd person out. They were the low hanging fruit in a way. And I've seen that change so much just in my short time at De Anza. If you walk into our Pride Center, which is also another great thing that's happened, um, the growth of the queer community on our campus um, and the advancements done by our predecessor and the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Center have led towards our school actually supporting and funding a pride center and what i honestly thought and i mean maybe maybe i was being way too pessimistic but what i thought was it was going to be like a room with some pamphlets and 
uh, somebody who would hold events every now and then, and that would be it. Um, and that was my like, that's what I envisioned. No, I'll tell you right now, if you are at De Anza, walk into our Pride Center pretty much any time during the day, anytime I would say between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., anytime during like that main time people are on campus, and that room is jumping. There is so much laughter. There's so many conversations. There's always something great happening. Um, the the dry erase boards in the back have all these amazing drawings on them. And to me, when talking about the idea of um, of what's happening on my campus, at least, um, it feels like there's been like this transgender renaissance. And, and actually, I will expand that to say there's been a queer renaissance. Um, last week, we had our, our ninth annual Queer Now conference, and it was very well attended. And it was an amazing time. Um, this is stuff that just five years ago seemed like it was still very kind of hidden in a small room. And now it's like out and it's here and um but i would say that our students are the reason why that is um our students bring it to that pride center our students bring it in their classrooms our students bring it to our campus and i've just been honored to support them in that that's great uh so on uh, that note, so I have a number of students who uh, study uh, Stonewall and not just the New York Gay Liberation Front, but Gay Liberation uh, everywhere. And this isn't an oral history interview or something along those lines, but um, from your experience, uh, hopefully you can uh, try to answer this. And this is just your experience. Um, what is, uh, is there any role currently uh, for Stonewall in uh, Gay Pride Month? Um, that is, uh, to put it another way, um, have you encountered the cultural memory of Stonewall and its significance or insignificance for uh, LGBTQIA plus activism in your um, experience in your trans transition? I love that question. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The original Pride was a riot. The original Pride was a riot. And the whole idea of the New York Gay Liberation Front and what happened at Stonewall was it was it was a revolution. It was a boiling up of of queer people wanting to be allowed to exist in spaces, and our colonialized, um, whitewashed society repressing them. And when you try to hold something down and you let the pressure build up for long enough, it blows up. Um, and Stonewall is just one example. Another example I would give are the Compton Cafeteria Riots in San Francisco. And the home of the Compton Cafeteria Riots was in the Tenderloin District, um, which is still a very um, rough part of San Francisco. Um, but in that, Activists such as Honey Mahogany, who actually spoke at our um, Queer Now conference last week, have actually led towards the development of the first transgender district in the entire country in San Francisco. Those movements were birthed out of things like the Compton Cafeteria riots, like the Stonewall riots, like these protests, like... Um, and, and I have to be honest, and, and I, I'm really trying to parse words here because I don't want anybody to think I'm calling anybody to violence because I'm not. But I look at what's happening with transgender people now. I mean, I have friends who are fleeing states, who are fleeing Missouri, who are fleeing Texas. And most of all right now, I have, I have people who live in Florida who are fearing for their lives, not just because of the laws that have been put there, some of which actually attempt to force trans people to medically detransition by banning their care, by banning access to 
these right here, my HRT, um, that's something that I readily get here in California that has been helpful with my transition. There are states where that is being taken away at a breakneck pace. And there's so many things that are being said about the trans community right now. Um, so many dehumanizing words, so many, this, this concept of like, we're a danger to children and, and stuff like that. And it just, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there is an answer to this besides rising up. And so when you think of Stonewall and when you think of the Compton cafeteria riots, I mean, both of those occurred in places that are now, that are at this moment now very, relatively speaking, accepting and welcome places. San Francisco obviously is, you know, one of the like most LGBTQ cities in the country and then New York, um, Stonewall obviously is a very historical place. But today's Stonewall is the, the Montana State Legislature where Zoe Zephyr was censured essentially for speaking out against anti-trans legislation. And to me, that's the new Stonewall riots. What's happening with people like Zoe Zephyr, um, with those kind of movements. And my hope is that it doesn't get violent. But, I mean, when you see videos on YouTube of people going to grocery stores and knocking off all of the cans of Bud Light because Anheuser-Busch had the, had the audacity to have one trans spokesperson. I mean, that, I live in California in a place that I, I consider myself pretty safe. And yet, that scares me. Oh, completely. I, I totally agree. I mean, I never thought I'd hear people calling to, for the cancellation of Garth Brooks because he suggested having Bud Light at his bar. That's just a crazy time that we're in right now. Um, it's also really why we think that pride is like a really important thing this month. I really encourage everybody who is part of the community to make sure you get out there and do it this, this year. Um, it feels like we're very much under attack and we need to make sure we're standing up for everybody out there. Um, on that note, like in the California community colleges, what do you believe are the most pressing issues for LGBTQIA plus students, faculty, and staff? Oh, um, there are three things I can think of. Um, the first one, which I actually know, there's a student um, who has basically kind of created a grassroots campaign at our campus um, towards creating um, multi-stall, all-gender restrooms. I think having restrooms that are welcoming to queer and trans people that aren't in a little corner on the far end of campus is something that's really really important and also having restrooms that aren't being used by somebody else so you can't use it kind of thing that's the problem with single stall restrooms um so i i definitely think creating more welcoming facilities is a big thing um the second big thing i would say is creating an environment where our administrations and our colleagues and our classified staff are backing LGBTQ people up. You know, I, I always worry, and I mean, maybe I'm being hyperbolic here, but I don't hide my transness at all. I don't hide my transness. And I wonder, is there gonna be a day when my office window is smashed in? or somebody writes something hateful on the trans heart that's on my car while it's parked at the De Anza College parking lot. And there's nothing that our administration staff, there's nothing that they can do to prevent that from happening. But my hope is that if something like that were to happen, that I would be supported in figuring out who did it, how it happened, what can we do to prevent it from happening again? Um, that to me is, is a big thing. And it, again, I feel 
overall, I feel very, very safe at a school like De Anza, but you never know. I mean, there's it really, it just takes one person who has a vendetta and they can just come in and, you know, do something like that. And, you know, it would be my hope that should something like that happen to me or to one of our students or to one of our staff and faculty members that we rally around them. Totally agree uh, with you on that. Here, here, as a person who was stalked by a student, I'm with you all the way. And then, and then, you know, the other thing is dismantling systems that are holding people back. Like I said, the, the name change, I'm just going to go on record and say that that whole process was unacceptable. It was absolutely unacceptable. And how many other schools is that a problem at? And I really think that we need to, if, if you're listening to this and you want to want to um, be an advocate for our LGBTQ community, you need to actively be pushing to dismantle systems like that, that make it so difficult to do something as simple as changing a, um, as changing a name. Um, so yeah, I do think that those are pressing issues. More welcoming facilities, having staff and faculty that rally around our community when something unsafe happens, and then dismantling systems of oppression that are in place. Maybe oppression is too hyperbolic of a word, but it, I think it's still somewhat appropriate. So you already mentioned uh, the uh, the, doc the documentary earlier. Do you have any additional uh, recommended readings and or media for our listeners to better inform themselves about current LGBTQIA plus issues, including Pride Month? I would say one of my favorite books is Tomorrow Will Be Different by Sarah McBride. Um, Sarah McBride is the highest ranking government official um, in the country right now. She is a state senator in Delaware, and she's doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, so I would recommend Tomorrow Will Be Different. That's sort of her memoir. Um, there's another book, um, more specifically for dealing with sort of the religious struggles. Um, the author's name is Julie Rogers, and she was a part of a documentary called Pray Away. That's actually a documentary I would recommend actually checking out too, specifically dealing with the religious trauma surrounding being LGBTQ. Um, and Julia Rogers has a book too that was really, really good about her journey. Okay, it's called Out Love. Um, that's a book I'd recommend. Um, I mean, and those are... I, I'll just be honest, um, a lot of the anti-LGBTQ sentiment oftentimes comes from religious areas. And if you're somebody like me who really still has a faith and is trying to reconcile your faith with who you are, I think that that book is really good as well. And, and I think it does sort of explain a little bit more about where the current state of the queer community is in light of this push that's happening right now. So Outlove by Julie Rogers. No, that's great. Those are awesome suggestions and I'm sure everybody will be rushing to check those out. I know I will. Um, so just to wrap up, uh, what do you believe the future holds for LGBTQIA plus pride in California community colleges? And what about for yourself? Um, I'm both scared and excited. So the truth is, is that um, just in the short time I've been at De Anza, I have seen us getting more and more and more on board with pride. And I've seen that actually at a lot of schools and a lot of colleges around the area. Um, this year, De Anza had the first pride and trans flag raising ceremony. And when I walk by uh, our campus center and I see those flags flying in the wind, I feel very proud. Um, and I feel like it screams, you're welcome here. Um, I think that we're gonna see more of that here in California. And, and I think that 
we are in an environment that really has an appetite for it. And that makes me really excited. Um, I've also kind of had to realize that progress is still slow. There are still opponents to what's happening even on our campuses. There are still systems in place that are holding us down. There are still obstacles in front of us that are making it harder for us to bring our whole authentic selves into the classroom. Um, but I feel like those headwinds are becoming less and less here in California. That being said, I'm just going to go on record and say I am terrified about 2024. Um, me too. I think we all are. <laughs> I mean, to me, I, and I'm not going to, I'm going to be honest, I'm not worried about Trump, you know, because in a way, like, I think a lot of us have, you know, we know who he is and we know how to deal with him to an extent. I'm more worried about somebody like Ron DeSantis becoming president. And to think like many of the hateful policies that have been instituted in Florida suddenly becoming federal policies, suddenly becoming executive actions, becoming something that he would try to do to make it so that even if you live in a safe state, you're in danger. Um, I'm scared of that. I mean, it, it's really frightening to think that that could happen. And it's not being hyperbolic and it's not being, um, it's not blowing it out of proportion. It's a very real danger. Um, as far as myself, um, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm excited to press in even deeper into advocating for our LGBTQ community on campus and beyond. Um, one thing that I had dreamt of for many, many years before I came out, like thinking about getting to be Alicia has, has been a fantasy of mine for over two decades. One of the biggest fantasies that I always had when coming out was coming out and people saying, not only are you welcome here, but we need your voice. We need you to speak up for us. We need you to support us. We, I mean, I, I say it like this and everybody laughs and, and I'd say that it's, you know, it's funny, but it's also true. I have really appreciated being put to work, like coming out and being put to work. I mean, I think what has happened at our campus has been incredible, advocating for a pride center, advocating for, um, an improved name change process, supporting our students and finding areas to lift their voices up. I mean, I've led a few panels of queer and trans students. I actually led one at the California Community College LGBTQ Summit a few months ago. And that was a, that was a great honor to do that. Um, and to me, like, if anything, I want to press in deeper into those areas. I want to advocate more for trans people in the scientists or in the sciences. There are some amazing trans scientists out there that are doing some incredible stuff. Um, I mean, I'll just shout one off off the top of my head. Mika Tosca at, um, at the, I always forget the name, it's an art school in Chicago where she's doing research on um, bringing art and climate science together to forward the message of climate change. And she's doing some incredible work. Um, and I want to lift up those voices at De Anza so that students can see that one, not only is science for everybody, but two, if you are a queer person or if you are a trans person, that not only is science for you, but here's some people who are actively doing it right now. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, one thing I'm also doing is I'm actually stepping back from a few of the areas of shared governance I've been involved in, trying my best not to pull back too much because I wanna continue advocating for faculty, but I'm, I wanna devote more time to being involved in our Pride Center. I wanna devote more time to being involved in our LGBTQ community on our campus and actually even extending that to my work at San Jose State and working and I don't know, I just, 
I think about a lot of the work that we do, and there's a lot of work we do that drains us. Working with our queer and trans students has been something that has just poured into me. It has made me so excited. It has energized me. And so I feel like this next year, I want to do more of that. That's awesome. All right. Uh, so, well, I think that does, that really does do it for this episode. Uh, Alicia, I really, and on behalf of Amy too, uh, I really, really thanks, thank you for joining us today. It was an honor. Thank you for having me. Also, Amy, you've done an incredible job as a, a co-host, and I welcome you again on the podcast. Always fun to be here, Ryan, and especially fun to talk about Pride. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. Uh, Amplifying Voices is a production of the Fact Communications Committee. Please, everyone, if you can, tune in next time. Again, thanks for joining us.